Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of Sheologians. We are here today to put the her in telegrapher. Oh. I just feel like that was like a very like 40s thing to do mm-hmm. or something. For a long time, that was a very big thing. <laughs> Telegraphs, right? It that's was pretty pe- big for a while. Right. That's what people we are We just don't understand say. it because like... We have a new iPhone out every year. Right. And that's <laughs> what people are going to say um, about like AOL Instant Messenger. Right. For a while, that was a pretty big thing. Right. <laughs> no longer. Right. <laughs> I asked somebody the other day, I was like, how much were you on AIM as a teenager? And they were only a couple years older than me. And they were like, uh, never. Because right. they were too old and for that. And then a couple years younger than us, they would say the same also thing. Also never. Right. It was really short-lived. I know, but it was how The Telegraph, else? I think, was around for <laughs> longer longer than okay, AIM. Okay, the Telegraph was but more serious. the point is we use neither right. now. Right, right. And so, I guess maybe someone in the world does. So we, oh, by okay. we, I mean Summer right. and myself. When I think of Telegraphs, I think of the second Sherlock Holmes because they sent a Telegraph in it. Can we start using a Telegraph? If that was still a thing, wouldn't it be so great? Like, instead of... Te- that's, like, going to be the next hipster movement. Like, I don't text. I use I my telegraph. <laughs> anyway, I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Joy, who I have never telegraphed. And, Joy, I want you to know that if it was your birthday party and you ordered only pineapple pizza, I would still eat it so as to celebrate your birthday, <laughs> despite how wrong... How wrong it is, and just all the wrong involved. Interesting. <laughs> I would never force you to eat pineapple but pizza. But I would for you, is the point. If someone was like, eat that pizza, or I'm going to steal all her money, <laughs> you'd be like, okay, well. Yeah. I would I'd still eat the pineapple pizza for you. Very few people would I do that for. Okay. Well, thank you. You're welcome. And you're right. I am Joy, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Summer. And Summer, I just want you to know that if you were ever replaced by an android Mm -hmm. with really good artificial intelligence, Mm -hmm. I would still know that it wasn't really you. (laughs) Because I'm pretty sure they just haven't gotten the eye roll down yet. (laughs) Right. Right. Because you can hear my eye rolls. Right. And that also, is a skill. I'm going to be thinking like the next time you walk in and you're doing something that's not like your usual self, mm-hmm. I might be like, hmm. Right. Like you ever, if you ever walked in wearing a super colorful outfit and not just all black, <laughs> I'd be like, mm, robot. Something's for up. For sure. If I wasn't sitting in my relaxation chair, which I'm not today, how could what you do even they do know? with the people that they replace i don't know there was a bruce willis movie like kind of about the surrogate one? yeah maybe that would answer mm-hmm. some of our more 
int- int- intelligent questions about. So that means you would have, in the surrogate world, you uh, would have opted to become an android and send it in your place. If I could sit in my relaxation chair, sure. Absolutely. Like, there's no question. Do I get my chair? Then fine. Just so you guys know, the next episode, we are going to be telegraphing each other. Is that even the proper way to say that? I don't even know. Using a telegraph. Telegraphy. And we will be sending our androids into the office to do it. Yep. And we're doing it from home. Our robot selves will be doing telegraphy. 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 <laughs> and I will be sitting at home eating pineapple pizza so as to throw everyone off because then they wouldn't know. Is this the real summer or the droid summer? <gasps> oh, that's a great point. Inception. It's happening right now. And now you just threw me off because you were like, I would do it for you. Right. But is that just the Android talking? I don't know. And I just said I'd be able to tell. But I am wearing. But now all, I can't. But I am wearing all black and I'm not in my relaxation chair. So, <laughs> you know what? Like, who even knows? <laughs> who even knows anymore? Where am I? We're all in the Matrix. We are all in the Matrix. It's going to be fine. And I know this because I was public school educated. <laughs> so, on that topic. You learned a lot about Matrix and <laughs> the uh, Matrix class. <laughs> <laughs> what, what if, like... <laughs> I just imagine um, Neo only teaching it. Or like whoever teaches it has to be in like the big black trench coat. there's like some crazy teacher out there who like shows his class the Matrix. And he's like, this is a documentary. (laughs) This is real. What if like Netflix accidentally put it in the documentary section? We need to look at that because Netflix sometimes does like categorize their movies in a really weird way. I want to find out. I know it's out there. There's got to be a list somewhere that's like weird movies that were put in the documentary section that are just not documentaries. Someone messaged theologians and they were like, I think this person thinks the Matrix is real. And they like wanted me to help. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, I'm going to move there be on. a new <clears throat> Matrix movie about a guy who is hand-selected to keep people from believing in the Matrix? <laughs> right. They're, I don't know. We have gotten, we have gotten so, so far, far the into the Matrix. Okay, so um, about a year ago, we had our guest on, and um, she's an amazing, wonderful butterfly of a person <clears throat> that I... Love reading everything she writes, including her blog, but most recently her new book. And so um, her name is Rebecca Merkel. She wrote Even Exile. We reviewed it. We had her on the, the show last year to talk about it. And so we are here today to talk about her new book. Robot Summer for the win. <laughs> All right, Rebecca. So Thank you so much for coming back on our show. It has been a year, and we are just so excited to have you again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me back. So it's been a year since you did Even Exile, and now I have sitting in front of me a copy of your new book, Classical Me, Classical V, <laughs> yes. Squander Not Thine Education. <laughs> and um, if you guys haven't seen yet how Canon Press made the cover 
of your book, make sure you guys head over to their Twitter or their Facebook and watch it because it was super interesting. <laughs> but anyway, so tell me, um, tell me about the book. Tell me, I guess, number one, my question would be, why did you take the time out of your busy life to write the book? Right. Well, um, I teach high school classes at a classical school. And so, of course, because I am teaching teenagers all day, I have heard the questions a lot. Uh, what good is this going to do us? When are we ever going to use this again? Why do we have to learn it? Those kinds of things. And right. so over the years that I have taught, we've had lots of discussions about that. And I've just, I started realizing that um, there's the kids who have that little edge to them. Why do we have to learn this? You know, there's those kids, but then there's good kids who, you know, they want to get good grades. They like the material and stuff, but even they don't totally know why they need to learn this stuff. And right. um, I just realized, actually, as far as the whole classical education movement goes, everybody sells the parents on it, um, or the teachers, or the administrators, and they all read books, and they learn about it, and they think this is a great idea, but everyone's so busy giving the education to the kids that I don't think anyone has taken the time to sell the kids on it. Right. And, of course, when they're little, they don't question it, but by the time they get you know, into their teens, they want to know what's this about and why am I having to do it? It's a lot of work. What am I going to get out of it? And I just thought, you know, somebody needs to write a book and just try and sell the students themselves on what they're getting. So I just told everybody they needed to write that book for a couple of years. And then finally they said, you should do it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> actually I do have opinions about it. So maybe I should do it. Right. Um, so, quickly uh tell us what is classical education and how maybe it differs from i don't know what do we want to differentiate it from yeah, regular just generic or public school or just well she tell us what it is and okay why it's better well she called it in the book it's a it's a fundamentally different pizza <laughs> that's right <laughs> okay. my favorite sometimes the metaphors yeah they kind of ran away um right so, yeah, classical education is, in one sense, a very old approach to education, but it's new in that it has been sort of recovered after a stint of, you know, going into hibernation for a while. So, um, classical education is basically just trying to recover um, partly the subject it's, it's partly about the subjects that are taught. You know, in classical schools, they learn Latin, and um, they're going to be reading probably different books in lit classes and that kind of thing. It's about recovering the sort of Western heritage in one sense, the, the classics. Um, but the thing that's new about it is that um, Dorothy Sayers, who was an Oxford academic who wrote murder mysteries on the side, she wrote an essay called The Lost Tools of Learning, in which she talked about this sort of um, this older way of educating and then she's the one who who drew the connection between sort of different phases of a child's education so there's there's like what is taught but then her idea was that when kids are little they love memorizing and they're they're doing that anyway right they're learning about the world they're learning the vocabulary of life and learning songs and poems and chants and stuff and she said just you should cut with the grain and when kids are little just pump them full of facts teach them teach them as many facts as you can because that's what they're interested in and then when they get to be sort of junior high age 
that's when she calls it the sort of, you know, the pert stage where they get argumentative. And she said, well, you should teach them logic. That's the moment where they want to argue, teach them how to do it well. And so that's where, you know, you learn logical fallacies and, you know, rules of debate and that kind of thing, because they're going to be doing it anyway. You might as well teach them how. And then as they get into high school, um, she calls it sort of entering the poetic phase where it's like the rhetoric phase where kids get more self-conscious. They care more about beauty. They, they start wanting to express their individuality more. And so she says that's when you should teach them rhetoric, teach them to express themselves well uh, when they get to that age. So it's partly, classical education is partly like an approach like that. And then it's partly recovering some of the, some of the material that's sort of gone by the wayside in mainstream American education. So it's kind of a, you know, two-pronged approach, I guess. Right. And you said in your, your, you said in the book, and this was kind of what I felt the thrust, and I could be wrong, but when I read the book, the kind of the thrust of what you were getting at was that in, in a classical education, the most vital thing you're being taught is not the facts themselves, it's the skill of being able to analyze them. Yes. Um, and that resounded a lot with me because when I grew up, you know, I went to public school, but a lot of what you're talking about in the book, <clears throat> worldview, how to analyze um, ideas, how to use logic and rhetoric were things that were really important. Uh, those are the kinds of things I learned at home right. uh, from my dad. And so while I didn't have a formal classical education, kind of all of these things that you're going through, the building on the facts with the logic and then expressing it through rhetoric was something that um, was just really important. I thought from just a Christian worldview, like yeah. this is how you <laughs> deal with the world around you. Yeah. Um, so would you say like one of the big determining factors of what makes something a classical education is that it's not just that you're learning facts, but you're learning what how to employ them and analyze them? Yeah, but, I, I think that's really huge. It's it's not about the facts as much as it's about the skills because you're going to forget the facts, you know, like you might pass all of your history tests about the Wars of the Roses and then you're going to forget what century it even happened in later. It's not like, it's not like you have to know those dates because someday when you're a realtor, when you're 42, you're going to have to take a pop quiz on the Wars of the Roses, you know, like that's not going to happen. But the reason you learn those things is because you are, um, ideally you're being formed into a certain kind of person and you're learning the skills and this, the facts are sort of, I mean, many of them are very important, obviously, but it's, it's more about, um, turning these students into, to a certain kind of person who has a certain set of skills and that's, um, that enable them to function in God's world, you know? Right. Right. Absolutely. So I guess, you know, one of my questions about, the whole topic of education is particularly hot in Christian circles right now. Yes. And people can divide really quickly over what kind of method of education they choose right. for their children. Right. And, and that's not the intent of this right. podcast. <laughs> that's not what we're trying to do. <laughs> um, I think this book is really celebratory of just education and the per like what what would you say the purpose of educating our children is like ultimately when you decide how you're going to educate your children like what is the founding factor that all of your decisions should be based on 
Okay, well, obviously I think you should have some end goal in mind, right? You don't just kind of launch into it with no purpose. And the goal, um, as you're educating your children, should be to equip them to be godly Christians for the rest of their life, right? And um, I was just talking to my husband yesterday. He'd been reading, um, I don't know where he found these statistics, but I think it's maybe the Southern Baptist. Um, I think they, they guess that between... 60 and 80 percent of the kids that grow up in the church lose their faith in college right mm -hmm. and you would have had a better chance on normandy beach than that um and so oh, wow. it's just if you think about the heavy heavy casualties that christians are taking with their children it's like you know if you could pick sending them off to college versus putting them on Normandy Beach, they would have had a better shot on at Normandy. And I think that's tragic. And I think it's, it's, um, it's because too few people are thinking about what does it take to survive as a Christian? Um, what are we giving our kids so that that doesn't happen to them when they get blown away by the first atheist argument they encounter? Right. 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 Yeah. Well, and I, I like that, um, and I've heard this a few times from all of our Idaho friends, <laughs> that education really is about, like, the kind of person that you want to be. Right. And so it's, it makes sense that if um, you go to public school and because they've removed the logic and the rhetoric, you are basically there to learn how to be a good student and yeah. sit. Yeah. And just like learn things and then sort of repeat them back when you need to. Uh -huh. it's and like, so if that's the type of person that your kids are becoming mm -hmm. in terms of if, if their education, if they're, they're good at sitting and learning what you tell them, they're not good at logic and rhetoric, mm -hmm. then it would, it, it would stand to reason that that is also what would happen when they go to college. You're basically yeah. teaching them for 18 years how to just hear everything they're taught and then they go to college exactly. and they're like, I'm just hearing everything I'm taught. Like yeah. it, it kind of makes, it makes quite a bit of sense. Yeah, it's very true. And I think a lot of people sadly look at education as a means to a job rather than as a right. means to being a certain kind of human. <laughs> and, um, and then you take that you take that with you wherever you go into whatever job you end up in and wherever God calls you, you're going to be a certain kind of person and your education should be shaping that. And I think a lot of times we get, we treat it like it's just a little series of, um, you know, things we have to check off in order to get a nice high paying job. And, you know, I think Christian parents particularly should be thinking about things that are far more important than that. Like, yes, I hope that my kids are employable one day. That's, that's important, but I care far more that they, um, that they grow into a certain kind of Christian. And if they are educated and they know what they think and they know why they think it, and they're not scared of defending their beliefs, they know what they think about the world, they know what they think about history and philosophy and art and how all of those things connect, that's a very employable person, you know? Um, yes, but does. I think that we actually turn it into this little checklist about um, just, I want my kid to get into a good college. And it's like, why? Well, so that he can get a good job. Why? So that he can make money so that, 
he can retire. You know, like what's the, what's the point? Um, and hopefully you want your kids to grow into the kind of people who will change the world. Um, not into the kind of people who just have, you know, a nice savings account or something. Yeah. Right. Well, and when you look at, when you look at education as just a means of getting a job, that's when you see people starting to exclude really important things from education. Like you talked about art. Yeah. You see, because that becomes, because what are the things that you could get a really good paying job with? You're thinking math, you're thinking science. You're, you might, depending on the job that you're imagining, you might think like English or literature, Uh maybe, right? maybe, right? (laughs) but like pretty much everything else. Yeah. Is, is pretty much, it's just going to be excluded because those things aren't viewed as, they don't have like a lot of um, equity when it yeah. comes to getting a really good, successful job in our right. mind. Right, right. And I think that is one of the, the other things that's kind of a defining feature of the classical Christian movement is trying to teach everything from a Christian perspective. And often Christian education is just plain old education, but then we throw on a Bible class. And it's, yes. it's like it's isolated off by itself. Like you can leave it in it in the locker all day and then get it out, yes. you know, twice a week or something. And so the idea is you want to teach the students math like a Christian and science like a Christian and history like a Christian and, you know, see what God is doing with all of those things. And then suddenly you see that they actually all relate to one another and they're all connected because... I do think our modern world sees um, education as really, really fragmented. It's like, you know, you have, um, you know, maybe you're going to go into engineering. So you just get on this one little track and you just do that. And so, of course, English doesn't matter or literature doesn't matter and history doesn't matter because you're just doing engineering. Um, But my husband likes to say, it's sort of like we get onto these little paths. If you picture sort of a huge field and there's little paths that we stay on, you know, you get on the math track and then you just stay there. Um, you get on the science track and just stay there. And the and and then you get these little feuds going between them, like the different part departments at universities, you know, where the English department resents the engineers because they know that they're just core requirements for the engineers. And, you know, you have the philosophy and the math departments hate each other and everything. Um, and he said, but, you know, if you give your your kids the right kind of education, you're giving them a four-wheel drive and you're telling them they can they can go off the path because they actually all connect. They're all in the same field. Right. You can jump from one to the next and you can see how these two relate. And you see it all as, as coherent, um, seeing everything in the world God made where everything coheres. It's not just a bunch of little fragments and you just pick the one that you like. So. Right. Right. You said in your book, um, that essentially grades are not the point. Yes. So your, your report card is not the point of education, which goes back to what we were talking about, which basically, you know, I think most of education today is about, let's just, you know, check this box off and move on to the next. Right. For me, school absolutely was about the grades. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like, I think our generation, we really do, you know, and there's a lot of pressure in most school systems where it's not really about the education as much as just moving them from one class to the next. Yeah, right. We don't really care if you learned anything. (laughs) Yeah. We just want you to pass this class. Right. Right. But how do we balance the tension between grades not being the ultimate point and wanting our kids to do well. What do you do with a kid who uh, maybe does isn't is never going to get 
A's and B's. Right. Um, but you still want them to have a solid education. How do you balance that tension? Yeah, well, I think um, part of it is just recognizing that God made us different. You know, different people have different gifts. And, um, and I think it's bad if we just set up, like, there's just this one little bar that you have to get over. And if you don't get over that, then you're not as good. You know, some, some kids are just never going to be as gifted there. And then you do what you can, you help them, um, get through it as best you can and help them make the most of what God has given them. But you know, you're just, you're going to have some people who are artistically gifted and some people who are mathematically gifted. And, you know, it's just, I think that's just part of recognizing that God created us all differently and helping them to do the most they can, um, even in the places where they struggle, but then not having the sort of artificial expectations for what success looks like. Right. Right. Yeah. I just think that's so hard to do. I just, I talk to moms in that boat all the time as they're trying to educate their children or someone else's and they don't know how to balance that. I think that's just important. I think it's almost taboo to say nowadays because everything is about reaching that standard Uh and and standardized testing and standardized education. And and it's kind of taboo to say, well, maybe your kid isn't, this isn't their strong point and that's okay. Yeah. Um, And I feel like we're doing our kids like a huge disservice in that. Right. Yeah. Uh, Well, I think that the, I think as well, especially public school, does a disservice in the fact that you so you're in this system and in order to succeed in this system you need to get this you need to succeed in this certain way right and so I think um I can't even tell you how many times I've heard people say like well I'm just not good at math I'm just not good at it and it's like well where did you learn that (laughs) you learned like maybe you're not as gifted in math as you are in other areas, uh-huh. but like basically you learned that you weren't good in math because you were given an hour, five days a week to <laughs> learn math and you weren't getting a concept. And so you failed the class. And if that happens enough times, you're just like, Oh, I'm bad at math. And it's like, well, <laughs> are you though? <laughs> I don't know. Like sometimes maybe you are, but I just think, I do right. think that it's a shame right. that um, it's, it's sort of set up to It makes you think that certain things aren't as important as they are, and then it makes you think that it sort of makes you give up on other things when, I don't know. No, It's just, it doesn't, there isn't, there isn't always like a, like you're talking with, about with the classical education, like sort of a fullness Mm -hmm. of knowledge. Yeah. Whereas right now, like if you're not good at something, you're just like, oh, well, I'm not good at it. And so I'm just going to focus on other things. Okay, Rebecca, so that being said, actually, I have a question. Um, Do you think there is, what is the appropriate time for kids to decide? So they're getting this classical education, and I know that, um, I want to ask this question because I want to, like, preemptively answer someone else's question, if that makes sense. Mm Is there a moment in classical education where you can let kids stop taking certain subjects and embrace the thing they really love? If there's not, why does classical education still work? Um, so we, I mean, I'm sure that I I wouldn't really want to answer for all the classical schools because I'm just not sure how everybody handles this. But I know that 
um, even in Dorothy Sayers' essay, she talks about that, like as as students kind of hit that poetic, you know, rhetoric phase, they are discovering what they love more, and you want to be able to let them pursue that. Um, and I, I think that if you do it too early, I, I do think you run the risk of nobody really knows what they want to do. You know, when you're 14, you have no idea. Right. Um, or very rarely. Some kids have Rock that. star. <laughs> thing where they they just know you know from the time they were little they just knew they wanted to be a doctor or, yeah. you know some people have that but um even there i think they benefit from a broad education i think that when you then become specific um you will have benefited from the from the broad thing and i think it's it's a, it is dangerous i think to to get too specific too early just because kids are still growing and changing and you know all of that but I do think when they start hitting that like upper high school, um, allowing them to pursue their own interests in different ways um, is a big part of, of making them actually value what they're getting and being interested in what they're getting and, you know, learning to appreciate it and that kind of thing. So, so I do think there's a place for that um, as they, as they get older. Okay. Good. Yes. So, well, okay, well, here's my last question, and <laughs> you're not going to see this coming, but okay. I was I was driving... Because this is a podcast. It's all audio. A, yeah. <laughs> you can't see anything. <laughs> um, so, I was driving into work this morning, and I thought, this is a question I want to have Joy and Becca answer. Okay. Like, I just... I need to know. I feel like it'll bring us together. Um, so, what him just makes you want to rock out <laughs> like is there a hymn that when you hear it like you have more of like a bohemian rhapsody kind of visceral response <laughs> than wow. than others because i know what mine is and i know this because when i play it in the car clementine she just like screams it because i'm so into it <laughs> and i'm like so this is our hymn that we rock out to that we rock out to. Yeah. I mean, if you're a real Christian, okay, there's right. got to be a hymn. So right? by rock out, do you mean like worship hardcore? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not a charismatic, but I just know that this hymn, like when I play it in the car, we all, even my four-year-old, like we have a reaction. We're like... Like it's emotional. It's emotional. We're like into it. I, like we've got fake microphones like this is our jam you know like and it's a it's a hymn but it's like a jam okay yeah i have mine you have yours yeah okay becca i just wanted to make sure i was answering correctly <laughs> first because i might turn out to be the bad christian here in the room oh good good even better yeah. more interesting okay well i want to know what yours is okay like favorite hymns well no 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 i mean this isn't my favorite hymn by any stretch like it's not my favorite hymn but it is the one where like if you start playing it like I'm like, where's my where's my hairbrush? Like, let's go. I'm turning it up. Wow. Okay. So. It's it's blessed assurance, right? Like, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Like, I like how you said that. Like, like I just wow. I mean, how okay. if you've heard blessed assurance and um, sovereign grace music has a. Uh, rendition of it that is just I mean we get into it like we're off key we have no vocal skill and we are ready to go well I'll just I'll have to look that one up because I just I didn't see that one coming <laughs> I thought you were going with I mean I like that one yeah 
I no, I don't. I don't need to find my hairbrush to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I. I'll. I will make sure everyone can hear this. What version, version are you? Yeah, I will. I will it's send gonna it. Be the version. I will send it. You will have it. You will know, okay. and then okay. you guys can, when you're driving, just like find a hairbrush. Okay. I will picture you doing that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we, right. we get into it. Even Clementine knows. Like she'll lip sync it like very intensely. Anyway, well. <laughs> Joy, what's yours? Well, goodness. Uh, now I feel like I need to keep, I'm like, hairbrush. What, <laughs> which hymn is hairbrush worthy? Um, the song, the hymn that I have a super emotional reaction to every time. Mm-hmm. I don't, I've never sung it into a hairbrush. Oh. But I have sung it often. Mm-hmm. Is um, Be Thou My Vision. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I love that hymn. Yes. And I okay. sing it emotionally. Yes. King's Kaleidoscope has a great. See, now this is where we get a little controversial because the version of it that I love uh-huh. is actually sung by someone who has claimed to no longer be a Christian. Oh, no. Um, but I still love the version. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> mm. Mm. Moving on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, hairbrush. <laughs> okay, Becca, it's the moment of truth. Oh, yeah. See, this is, like I said, it's, I'm going to be the bad Christian. I just like flat don't ever do that with hymns. <laughs> I think what we discovered is that summer's weird. <laughs> that is not a new discovery. And I've never, th- I don't, I, I'm very weird. So I rarely think, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> but I, this is, is kind of weird? weird. Like who doesn't, like there's, who doesn't have, like how you guys? Yeah, well, I think this is where I make the deeper confession that I don't listen to hymns in the car. Maybe that's my... Oh, my. Mm. Okay. Mm-mm. See, yeah. a lot of the hymns that I listen to that are more like modern mm-hmm. covers yeah. tend to be quite a bit slower. Oh, okay. And like more mellow. Yeah. I'm about to open up a whole new world for you There guys. is a version of <laughs> Holy, Holy, Holy that I really like and oh, I've is been more... Looking for one. Is it the Page CXVI? No. Okay. It's the Sufjan Stevens one. Oh, that's it's a great version. Okay. Well, okay. That's a fine. great version. Okay, then, then it was Becca, on this Christmas album. I will settle for your favorite hymn. My favorite hymn. Okay. Um, well, is it totally cliche to say Amazing Grace? Because that one, I think, just is yeah. for me, my favorite yeah. hymn. There's a reason why um, everyone knows it. Yeah. I also, well, with my soul, that one's always good. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And, yeah, the, your two also are yes. good. So. But yes. I think I just I would have to give the price to Amazing Grace. Yeah. Yeah. Solid choice, really. I would imagine there are some hairbrush versions of Amazing Grace. Yeah. There may be. That's that's possibly <laughs> true. Well, thanks for entertaining me. Now everybody knows what I do in the car. <laughs> you keep a hairbrush in your car? No, I never brush my hair. But I just like want <laughs> I want one. My hair is frizzy. You can't just you go need a car brushing brush. it willy nilly. I should get you. A car microphone. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Becca, thank you so much for joining us. And tell people, um, tell them where they can find your book. Okay, um, Canon Press. And is it canonpress.com? That's it. Yeah. Is it .org? What is it? Canonpress.com. And my book is there. Yes, and where, and I think on the Facebook page and on Twitter, you can watch the video of how they made the cover. I just think you guys should see it. I think it's worth 
30 seconds of your time. It's like a cool little detail. It's just fun. Just go watch it, everybody. <laughs> Good job. All right, guys. And we will see you next week. All right, guys. Let's shift gears here and talk about our feminist of the week. And our feminist of the week was actually sent to us by an adoring fan. And um, this link is just, I don't know. I'm kind of going back and forth on whether or not I should, like, post a picture with the show of just how bad this is. But anyway, right. our, our feminist of the week is wildfang.com. And they are a company that sells clothing supposedly for feminists. Like, it's feminist clothing. And they actually have a blog um, that is just really interesting. Um, It's the wild feminist blog. I don't even know. Anyway, so someone sent me this link. And the reason that it is interesting is because one of the things, hallmarks apparently of being a feminist is just doing everything you can not to look like a woman. Or to be a dude that looks like a woman or to be like a woman who like as much as possible doesn't look like a woman or like not even. So does that mean you like switch <clears throat> clothes or there's some like just gender neutral burlap sacks that we can all wear? Well, a lot of the clothes are just like they're dude clothes. Right. Designed to fit a woman's body. Well, but that's not neutral. It's not neutral, but it's like, well, so wait, what is, is it a, it's not really a celebration of women. It's like women who don't look like women. Right. Because that, I guess, is like empowering or something. But do they understand that to be empowered, they have to dress like men? Isn't that problematic? It's problematic. And the ultimate irony is that one of their banners is a, a picture of women dressed in men's clothes that don't fit them and like the caption over it is the ultimate suit fit guide (laughs) none of the women are wearing clothes that even remotely fit them (laughs) like it's just like and i don't mean fit as in like oh their personal style i mean like literally the pants are too tight or the jacket's too baggy or it's just like none like this is a picture of what happens when you're like wearing someone else's clothes who isn't your size (laughs) and like the caption is literally about how it's their fit guide feminism just doesn't fit with anything i'm having a really hard time with this so and then i found i didn't tell you about this but back in uh june or july target added a gender neutral kids collection and i have not seen the um i haven't seen this in stores but this this in style article says that like it's coming out it came out in july uh and it sizes four to 16 so they're targeting kids and the whole point of it is that it's gender neutral so if you don't feel like a boy or you don't feel like a girl you can shop in this section what i feel like there's like they're just making up though they're using to create gender neutral definition like to to create the clothes that have no gender yeah they have to use female and male clothes yes to like create that distinction so, so you now, have to say what were, something is to say what it is not right yes so if they came out with a line of like robes 
<laughs> that we're all one color. I know. Okay, then maybe I could be like... I know. But even then, that would be referred to as unisex. It doesn't make any sense. This is not unisex. It's gender neutral, and it's supposed to be like between the boys and the girls section. Um, the company is called Toka Boca. Oh my gosh, that they are huge. They've developed like tons of phone games for kids. Oh, okay. Well, now they want your kids' identity to wear what gender neutral. I just clothes. don't know what that is. Like, what is that? I don't. Is know. it a shirt and jeans? Because that sounds more like a boy's outfit or also I mean, a girl's <laughs> outfit. If you go to this website and you scroll through, I mean, some of it very clearly looks like it's for a boy. Some of it, to me, very clearly looks like it's a girl, like the dress. Right. Um, and then some of it is like it's like a backpack that I think most girls would be drawn to. But if a boy had it, I wouldn't think twice. Like, it's just anyway. Backpacks can tell you if someone's a girl or a boy. You guys, this none of this makes any sense. <laughs> none of it makes any sense. I'm just really confused. I know. There's a headband. I don't really see dudes walking around in headbands a lot. Like, it's very girly. So it's just gender neutral because they say it is. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't offend anybody. And this So, like, you could get a headband from the girls section. Yeah. But if you feel like you have no sexuality... You should go to gender neutral, the gender neutral section to get your headband. I haven't, you know, I haven't seen this in Target. Like I've been in Target since July um, and I haven't seen it, but maybe it's not in every store. I don't know. I just think it's sad that they want to target kids and and target kids Mm. (laughs) that, um, you know, we're just like cultivating this idea that kids might be gender neutral which is totally a lie and you see more and more coming out every day about kids who start taking hormone blockers and then decide later they want to get off of them and just the lifelong damage that you're doing we don't even know the extent of yet because we haven't been messing with our children for too long but we do have people who you know well i'm sorry the 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 argument is that by putting kids in in clothes that are either boy or girl Mm -hmm. is damaging to them. (laughs) Please show me the study that shows it is damaging to all kids to wear clothes that are associated with their gender. This is all just like totally brainwashing. For all of you guys that are worried about androids and robots, like... And the face recognition right. on your iPhone. I don't even know. Whatever. So I, I may or may not link to it. I haven't decided yet. The wild thing, just because the pictures are, like, they're really, some of the um, the styling and the way they do their makeup, like, it's just disturbing to me. Like, it's so, it's such obvious rebellion. Like, some of it is just, it's gross. Like, you right. see, you know, sometimes you look at, like, the walkways that are going on in fashion, mm-hmm. and it's just gross. Like, it's, right. it's perverse, and, like, some of this website, it's not perverse in terms of how much skin they're showing. It's just perverse in the cross-dressing right. that they are. Well, that's what I mean. They just end up cross-dressing. Yeah. It's not neutral. It's still mm-hmm. not neutral. Right. You're not smashing the patriarchy by dressing like the patriarchy. Because <laughs> like- clothes aren't damaging. They're not damaging. Anyway, it's it's wildfang.com if you guys want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. 
that's it um yeah i don't even have anything i don't else even to say have, about i that. don't have anything else um so we are gonna have becca on next week again and she is going to answer some questions that you guys have um from her book even exile we're going to talk about toxic femininity <laughs> join us next week and hey go to patreon.com slash theologians every time you drink water mm-hmm. maybe not every time you drink water but like if you just think about it every think about time it every time you drink water, you drink water. Uh, help keep us on the air and we will see you next week see ya <laughs>